Hi folks, Johnny Laser here. Today's guest is NYSA member Louis Marcoya. This is a supplement to a two-part series on Salvador Dali created by Jim McManus for his Life is 3D series for the NYSA. You can refer to Season 3, Episode 9, which aired on April 3rd, 2021. You can find that on Vimeo, YouTube, and of course Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Lewis is a phenomenal artist, and he was a protege of Salvador Dali, so I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview. Please follow us and also subscribe to our YouTube and Vimeo channels. So now, here is Lewis Marcoya. For the Alice Cooper hologram, I was around for quite a bit of that, and that was quite a, uh, a circus, because Cooper was always drunk, and Dali couldn't understand them because he was drunk, and Dali was always talking in half a catac, Italian and half French, and a little bit of English thrown in, so neither of them could understand each other. So it was really quite uh, quite a scene. Wow. Now, wh when was this done? Uh, that's like 73, I think, 72, 72 or 73. Why did he pick Alice Cooper? Well, Dolly is a media whore. So if Alice Cooper's in town and he has a lot of press, Dolly will, will try to grab on to whatever he can. And Alice Cooper was getting a lot of press at the time with uh, having had his stage show with the big snakes and all that stuff. So Dolly said, you know, uh, I'll try to benefit from that. And why a hologram? So hologram, uh, Dolly wanted to do holograms because Dolly was interested in trying to recreate the third dimension on a flat surface for art, for artistic purposes. So that. His, um, his premise to that was that all the artists since the Renaissance, since perspective in art had been used, have been trying to recreate the third dimension on a flat surface. And because um, perspective only does what it does and perspective and shadows and um, painting realistically only does what it does, Dolly was trying every method that he can to make uh, 3D more 3D, actual 3D. He wanted to have real three-dimensional stuff like full-color holograms now or full-color lenticulars now or, you know, whatever. That's what he was really looking for and never achieved. So he was trying stereoscopic stuff. Was He was introduced through, uh, through computer drawings that were in early computer stereoscopic books for computer generation. And saw them with a viewer, started to want to incorporate them into his art, and then wanted to expand it to other stereoscopic photography. Who, how did he find the holographer? Uh, the holographer actually just presented himself to him. You know, just like one day showed up and said, do you, do you want to make holograms? And Dolly said, yes, you're in. So let's start. Uh, he was looking for a subject and the rest is history. Alice Cooper was one of probably a dozen holograms that were done at the time. But there were several flat holograms, you know, Alice Cooper was one cylindrical hologram. There was another one done of his wife, Gala, uh, later on. But that was done as sort of the, as the grand experiment. The other, the other flat ones were conventional holograms. But they were all one color green light laser holograms. And they, came, they fell far from what Dolly really wanted to do because, you know, he, want, he wanted to make full color 3D pictures. Who created the pose? Well, that, that, that was that was a, a collaboration between Dolly and um, the holographer on a turntable to see what they could fit within the, the scope of the, the laser. Oh, it went all freaking day. I don't know. <laughs> it, it went all day. Why did they settle on this one? Well, 
um, this was sort of what was was settled on because there there's stuff that you can't see in this particular the the picture is like too fuzzy. But Dolly had made a little um, exploded statue that was a microphone that was supposed to resemble a microphone that Alice Cooper was holding. Alice Cooper had a a wax brain that had, Dolly had painted ants on it that was mounted to the back of his head uh, in this. So it, it's it's a lot. It's actually a lot more surreal than it looks in this. Were any regular stereo pictures taken or any other photographs taken? Well, there, there, there were photographs taken for sure, but I don't know where they ended up. But I don't know that any stereo photographs were taken of this. You, I, I recall you mentioning a, a bit about the, you finding the stereo realist camera or you assignment to go out and get a camera. Well, well, Dolly had, had started his stereoscopic paintings and he wanted me to, to help. And I didn't have a camera and I didn't know about one, but I happened to find one in Klein's bookstore in Westport, Connecticut, um, a stereo realist. So I bought it and just started taking pictures. And Dolly wanted me to take pictures of uh, pencils and paintbrushes and shoes and go down to the docks and take it between boats and take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stereo pairs in black and white, which he would have his photographer blow up and see if he wanted to use or not in compositions. So did you ever have any of those images mounted in a, to look in a viewer or they, they were, that wasn't the intention? Well, the only the only way those images were mounted were on stereo cards that were in the old fashioned handheld viewers and the stereo pairs were mounted on the cards, replacing the photos that were on the cards, just taping them on the cards. That's how we we ended up viewing them to see, see, see how the 3D worked and see if Dolly wanted to use it or not, or see how far we could get with the 3D. So all the experiments, experiments were done that way, actually taping little black and white photos that were done from the stereo realist onto stereo cards and then putting them in an actual uh, antique type viewer. Did the photographer run them through an enlarger or something? How, how did that work? Yeah, I had to. Hand, I, I handed over all the film, uh, all the negatives to, to Dolly and his photographer. And they, if, if Dolly was going to use anything, he would discuss it with the photographer, not me, because then it, at that point it was out of my hands. They were discussing what they wanted to do with it. Where is that film at this point? Do you have an idea? Oh, forget it. I, I have no idea. Dolly gave it to the photographer and what happened to it from there, I have no idea. I could go, I could, you know, I have one box of like really weird stuff and I could look to see if there's any of those negatives available in there. There might be. How long did this take? Was is it a full day or was it several days of shooting? Oh, well, well when, Dolly, when Dolly had me like take experiments, I was doing it, you know, for weeks. I would bring in new stuff every few days. I'd shoot a roll of film of like pencils in a in a cup or uh, paintbrushes in a hand or a shoe on the ground or all kinds of things. You know, I would just go home and shoot another roll and come back in a couple of days and give them the uh, give them the the film from that the negatives. None of those ended up actually mounted in stereo realist masks to look at. They were just done the way you said. They... Exactly. We we would all we do all we would do is have. Uh, when I had the film developed, I had, I don't know what it was, three by threes or something really small made that taped right in place on top of a, a standard stereo card in an antique viewer. And that's how we viewed them. We just, you know, there was no question. We didn't think anything about it. We just did it. Who figured that out? I mean, who, who ended I up? I did. It was just, a, to me, it was the simplest route. I had a stereo viewer. I, I had tape and uh, I had to develop the, I had to develop the film. 
So I just had these little copies made and mounted them to the cards, and it, and it worked, you know. That's a valid way of doing it, no question. The other holograms, um, are they on display anywhere, the other ones that he shot along the way? Yeah, I think, I think some of them are on display on the, uh, at the Salvador Dali Museum in Spain. A number of them were on display for a long time at the New York Hologram Museum. I don't know what happened with that. But you have a lot more contact with them than I do. Does Alice Cooper have one of these? That's a dumb question, but to... no, uh, not that I know of. Uh, I I know I know Alice Cooper has complained that he wanted the brain back because he said it's his brain. But uh, it, as far as I know, the brain is missing, and Alice Cooper never got it. Alice Cooper's brain went missing. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's run through a few of these others. Uh, that's a, that's a, I probably I could come up with like ten more questions after I listen to this. I'm sure, but that's excellent. That that was a really great background on that. Uh, Dali had found this uh, Dutch painter Gerard Dou D O U that had he had found that there was paintings that, that he had done that were similar, and what he ev eventually found is that there were stereo pairs done by this guy. So this guy. Um, used a camera obscura or whatever, and actually did stereo views of a couple paintings, views like this. So this Gerard Dow, uh, uh, Dolly got obsessed about it because he had already done it and Dolly hadn't. So now Dolly is like sort of crazed. He has me going out and looking in libraries for Gerard Dow books and whatnot to, to try to find reproductions, to try to find images that look the same, but aren't quite the same because they're left and right eye perspective. So. That got him on the track of wanting to do stereoscopic painting. How long did you uh, work with him before he got obsessed with stereo? A uh, couple of years. 3D is always sort of an obsession. He had, we, I would, was working with him um, with a plastic that had sort of a relief to it that was made in Connecticut from a company called Roland Development. And the Roland Development had made this plastic that had sort of a lens type image on it that had a 3D relief look. And they had hoped to make a killing by selling it to the government to make reflective stop signs or whatever for, for traffic. And it didn't work for that. So it's, they started using it commercially for, um, for advertising and whatnot. And Dolly got his hands on some of it. He actually made a lithograph with it. He had me experimenting, painting on it on both sides on semi-transparent versions to try to see how we could get the most relief on that. So that was the first experiments in 3D using this uh, Roland development plastic. And, eh, you know, it, it was, yeah, for 3D, it, you know, it looked an inch deep or something like that. And on planes, of course, because you had a top plane and a back plane, and that was the end of it getting to this image and, and searching out these uh, paintings. Where is that in the, in like, so, the so Dolly, so, so Dolly had um, some, some suspicion of this guy having stereoscopic uh, images for years, but was, was slowly trying to put it together and trying to get the research done to find the left and right pairs because they were separated. They're all over different places of the world and whatnot. And nobody had ever made this realization. So it, it came together slowly over a number of years. Uh, it started before I knew him, I would guess. I'm, I'm just curious of the conversation that led to you getting a stereo camera. Was it go find me, a, go take stereo pictures or how did, or did you just come? No, he, he had already, he already had a, a photographer with a stereo camera that was doing work for him. But 
it wasn't enough and it wasn't fast enough. And it, the guy wasn't here in America at the time. The guy was in France. And, you know, he's saying, I need this stuff. You know, could you find, could you find, could you do this? And I, I was just there to do whatever I can. So I had no idea what a stereo camera is. I very, I did very little photography at all, but in, in a just completely chance happening, found this camera at uh, Klein's bookstore in Westport. So when I saw it, I, I knew it was a stereo camera. It had two lenses, stereo realist. I did a little research. Yes, it's a stereo camera. I brought it to the camera store, had them check it out. They said, it's fine. It will work well. And I bought a roll of black and white film, threw it in it, and took a bunch of pictures and started. That was it. None of them told you to put slide film in, or did you just decide to use it with film, with, with the regular film? Because you were using regular film, not transfer, not the... Uh, That's right. Reverse. I was using regular film. Was that because you didn't know to put slide film in? No one told you that, or you just decided to do it that way? for that, because, because I already had the idea to mount the the photos to the cards to to view it easily that was what made sense to me i didn't ask any questions i didn't know how to do it i just did it <laughs> that's a great man is i get put that on a t-shirt i like it um <laughs> yeah how old how old how old were you at that point i'm probably 21 or 22. and how did you bump into dolly that's a really interesting uh, thing. So um, I was interested in art as a child. Uh, well, actually, in the seventh and eighth grade, uh, I was interested in Ed Big Daddy Ross, the guy who designed crazy cars, really wild cars. And um, I wanted to become a car designer because of him and started drawing cars and got it interested in art from drawing cars. And I thought at that moment in time that I would end up in Detroit being an, an automobile uh, designer. So I really look forward to getting high school and um, starting real art classes because in middle school, you only had an art class once a week by somebody that wasn't an art teacher that was just doing it for the fun of it for like a half an hour for the week. So I got to high school and was like thrilled to get into a real art class and took my first real art class. And when I got there, the first semester was on art history. And I really wanted to learn um, perspective, drawing, all the classical art stuff that would get me to be able to put pencil to paper. And that wasn't happening. So I don't really remember what I did, but the teacher found me disruptive and the teacher locked me for most of the year in the clay room. And uh, I didn't participate in the class much. And that was it. I didn't take art anymore and forgot about art altogether. I, I was in um, a, like a lower middle-class family who was, I was expected to go just to the factory and work, no thought of college, nothing like that. Um, and that's what I expected to do also. But in, at, when I graduated high school, I was in the first mall that opened in Connecticut, uh, opened, I think, in 1968 or 69. And I was in a bookstore. Well, it was actually a, a Hallmark card store. And I had a Dolly book. And I saw it and I went through it. And it just, like, blew my mind. I didn't even know that art could do that. I didn't know that people could, could express themselves that well. And, of course, Dolly being so photographic, um, really changed the world to me looking through that book. I couldn't afford it, but I wrote Dolly down. I wrote down the name. And a year later, my parents moved to a better section of town where I had to walk by the library. And I went into the library and I found an autobiography by Dolly. I read it. And then when I had read it, I was convinced that I had some reason that I had to be in touch with him. And uh, 
I also, in reading it, knew that he came to New York every year and spent three or four months in the winter at the St. Regis. So I decided to start calling. And um, one Sunday, he answers the phone. And he says, come, come six o'clock Sunday night. So uh, get on a train in Connecticut and I get there. And because of train schedules or whatever, I got there like quarter after six or 20 after six. And the front desk told me to go down to the uh, cocktail lounge, which is now doesn't exist anymore. But um, I walk in and Dolly's sitting at the back of the room and he has a big line of people on either side of him with waiting to, uh, for an audience. And they're the most influential, the richest, uh, fam most famous, the most people, the uh, most influential people around in town at the time. And I just sat at a table and watched it and decided that I really didn't know what I had to say to him at that point. He already had like hours worth of people that wanted to talk to him and he wasn't going to get to them all. So I decided to go home. And on the train ride home, I decided in, in able to have a way to talk to him or something to talk about, I would teach myself to paint. So that's what I did from that time on to the next winter. I taught myself how to oil paint. And when the next winter came around that he would be at the St. Regis, I had probably 10 or so paintings that I had done in the style of him. I had learned like really, really beat my head against the wall to find out how to like learn to use some of his colors and use some of his skies and stuff like that and brought the, the photographs of the paintings to him. And now I knew the routine. So when I called and he said, come tonight, six o'clock, I came and made sure I was there at 5.30. So when I got there, the desk said, you could call him to see if he wants to come down, which I did. And he did come down. And I got to sit with him for like 20 minutes alone. And he critiqued every one of the paintings. Of course, every one that I did, he had done it better. And he had done it better many times. And he gave me all the examples. And, but when, when he finished, he folded up the, the, the pictures, the photographs, and into a little like deck of cards and said, we will do some collaboration, which really meant I was going to be his chief cook and a bottle washer for a year or so until I proved myself that I could actually do something for him. And I stuck with it and uh, actually started, you know, as I did more and more drawings and whatnot, I got more and more incredible assignments and met more incredible people. Were you still living in Connecticut at that point? Yeah, I was taking the train in probably four or five times a week. Where was his studio? In the St. Regis. Like a room in the St. Regis? Do you remember what room? Uh, no, I don't remember what room. There was actually a, a few uh, and different ones that were used for different purposes, and some were really like trashed, paint everywhere. What year would that be? You think? I worked with him from '71 to '76. Well, New York was really—that's an interesting time for New York too to be. Oh yeah, I mean Andy Warhol was always there. I was there all the time. Andy Warhol tried to poach me from Dolly at one point. Why didn't you go? Because I thought uh, I thought. Well, having been around Warhol enough, I thought he was a dweeb and I didn't really think he had any genius. <laughs> I thought Dolly was really the preeminent modern art genius. So I was working with that already and I wasn't going to go to work with uh, with Warhol at the factory that he had full of uh, drugs and transvestite. And I was like completely, like totally out of my mind, afraid of some of the transvestites. And you were well served by that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of strange things going on at the factory, and I didn't. I, I heard enough rumors and talked to enough people that I didn't want. Well, you know, it, it really wouldn't have matter if they weren't there because I was already working with Dolly, and that was to me. I couldn't. 
there was nothing in the world that could be better. And it certainly wouldn't be Warhol because I didn't even respect his art in the, in the least at the time. When did he stop working with stereo? Well, at, he stopped, you know, he, he continued on with it for a while, a few years after uh, he did a few paintings after I left in 76, but the stereo was overall a, a huge disappointment because of the problem of convergence and getting people to understand what he was trying to do. Like I said, we had a huge amount of trouble uh, getting hardware to display the stereo pairs because he was doing paintings that were large. They're anywhere from, let's say, a foot and a half to four by six feet. We had a, some prints made. So we had to find front surface mirrors to do that. Almost impossible with uh, large pieces like that. And in the end, uh, as I said, I had uh, contacted Edmund Scientific, who made for us um, acetate with um, aluminized acetate that were stretched over metal frames that became our front surface mirrors. And while they weren't perfectly flat because they were stretched and they have some stretched uh, distortion and whatnot, um, we, that's what we used. And, and if you had everything set up perfectly, so we would have them set up in a W. You had the two front surface mirrors come up to a V and the two paintings come out uh, on the wings to that. So if you put your nose up to the V of the mirrors and you use them to split your vision and you're only looking into the mirrors and the mirrors are reflecting the left and right eye perspective, it worked, but it worked like hokily and to the public, they would bump the mirrors and ruin the alignment. They didn't know that they should be putting their nose up to the mirrors and, and trying to split their vision. The whole thing was a, a, a terrible mess. I told you one of the first things that Dolly had an idea to use is because I was digging up some stereo images from computer generated uh, periodicals and you couldn't find any any other stuff much. There, was, there wasn't a lot available. And of course there wasn't the internet. So um, I would go to the library and start looking through computer books. And, and actually, I think Edmund Scientific led me to one little thing, some cards that had some molecules. Then I've looked up the companies that made them and started ordering the, every, everything I could find. And most of the stuff that was stereo at the time was, was molecules. So there was universities that were working on trying to do stereoscopic molecules. So Dolly would take that and what he, what he wanted to do in, in this case is he felt he was inventing a new way to mix color by using different color in the left and right image and having those images are sort of floating over each other in, in the convergence mirrors. You weren't seeing the blue or the orange. You were seeing some weird combination of them or a little bit of each of them at, at some single times. So he was trying to be inventive uh, of how color was made in the stereoscopy uh, to, some, to make, again, something new. Curious at what kind of folks were attracted other than yourself. I could see what your history was. You had a great history. Oh, my God. It's, it, it's brilliant. Well, you, you, had all, you had a lot of different kinds of people. You had mathematicians. So there's the Buckminster Fuller was around. Um, you had Crick and Watson, the, the people that had found DNA. Um, you had a lot of scientists, a, a lot of uh, journalists, uh, a lot of models, movie stars, rock stars, all those types of people. Um, you know, Dolly was sort of the rock star of art for a while. And the, the real fun, one of the real funny dynamics is that while Dolly and Warhol were both like the kings 
of, of their craft. And Warhol was really the king of New York and Dolly, when he was visiting, assumed that he was. They, neither of them like, they, they like feigned being friends, but they really didn't like each other. They didn't understand why either one of them was getting the attention that they did. And they had wars by trying to have the best entourage, which was really pretty. And just that, you know, to, to further that just a little bit. So when people showed up, what would they do? Chat with them, interfere with them, suggest ideas? No, they would come and they, they there would there would be a lot of people would show up and think that they had ideas for Dolly. And a lot of people would want to come to try to propose projects to try to make money off of Dolly. And Dolly wanted to make money more than anybody. And he wanted the attention more than anybody. So those meetings usually didn't go too well. There was, was uh, I'll do a one real quick one. That we had a, a businessman wanted to make a puzzle that would um, integrate. Uh, Dolly had made a. I have to go back. Dolly had made a picture that he took um, Marilyn Monroe's face and cut it out and inter. Um, had his photographer Robert Desharn put that in um, Mao's head, Marilyn Monroe's face on Mao's head. So he thought that this was combining the cultures. And he was like so proud of this. It, the image actually appeared on the cover of Vogue one year uh, at one issue in a special issue. And Dolly was like crazy proud of this. And one business, Dolly was like always peddling that how, how much genius he was from this. And he had the pictures of Mao and Marilyn printed on the sides of beans, actual like little actual hard beans. And was telling people if you swallowed them, you were combining the cultures of China and America. He had a businessman come that wanted to do a project with him. And Dolly said that I, I have a project that it's it's uh, um, it's a puzzle. And the guy says, that's great. You know, that's fantastic. Let's let's do a puzzle. So, Dolly, this is Sunday night. It's raining like hell. Um, it's it's late. And Dolly says, um, go out and find uh, a, a China teacup. It's it's you know, I there's there's no place to, for me to look up where I could. So I, ha I have to start like walking the streets of New York at nine o'clock at night in the rain to see if I could find a China teacup. And I finally go get into find a, a Chinese restaurant that I went on and they had a, like a really crappy, but they had a China Chinese teacup. So I get it and I bring it back to Dolly and Dolly's now has a check for a hundred grand in his pocket from this guy. Right. So Dolly, the guy says, uh, what's the what's the puzzle going to be? So Dolly takes the cup from me and he wraps it up into a linen napkin and he swings it around his head, making as much a commotion as he can in the St. Regis, in the restaurant at the St. Regis, at the St. Cole Bar and, or the uh, King Cole Bar. And he smashes it on the table and says, here's here's your project. When when you complete the puzzle, you have a cup you could use. <laughs> Hey, listen, that ties right into your pottery story. <laughs> That's excellent. God, that was a great description. I was able to follow it in my mind's eye. I, it's That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny, man. Oh, man, that is funny. I can't imagine the look on the guy's face. Oh, the guy. Dolly already had, he already had the guy's check. So the guy was like completely flabbergasted. So it was a. Uh, quite a night could you throw at least a tea bag in with that you know it's, it's great <laughs> oh that's excellent man that's a great story i had to take literally hundreds of pictures of like paintbrushes in perspective like this and shoes and pencils 
and all kinds of stuff that he would that we would use for studies to do something like this. How did he paint those? Was it, were they projections, or did he look in the, in the viewer? All right. So so all the after after the the picture was composed. So this was several pictures, not one stereoscopic picture. Um, he would take have his photographer blow them up, and then we'd have to put uh, take pins and outline all the, the elements in the in the drawing or the painting with pinholes in the black and white draw, uh, photographs, and then put the photographs on top of canvases with pencil, draw in all the, all the holes that define the subjects, and then take away the photograph and then outline the subjects by using the pinholes. Who figured that process out? Well, that's that's been around for a million years. That's been around since the Renaissance. Yeah, I get that. But how did he how did that get applied to this? With well, that was the only way. Well, you know, he could guess at doing the stereo, but that was the only way for him to get it realistically because you we didn't we didn't have a projector at the time where that's the answer. Didn't use a projector. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Wow. How long would something like that take? And how and how detailed did you have to be? How precise did you have to be? Well, it depends. You know, if it, if it was doing a person, you were doing like every quarter inch of a pinhole and stuff. So it took a long time to do the pinholes. And now you had a, a million pinholes in a, in a large black and white photograph. You'd have to put that aside and then look at the, look at it to see which which little dots. Now, now you have a just a, a white canvas with a million charcoal or little lead dots on it. So now you had to go back and look at the canvas to see which ones to connect together. So it, it was a complicated and a pain in the ass process. Like this is this is a real cheap ass thrown together nothing one. Um, and and the ones like with him painting Gala with the mirrors, you now that was that took a lot of time or anything like that. Yeah, like this, this a lot of time and effort was put in in transferring the images. I was around for parts of this, but I, I most of this was done in Spain. He would be here for the winter, right? He would be here for four, three or four months in the winter and bring back all the studies and whatever stuff he would do. And then he'd, he'd go to Paris first and then Spain in the summer. And, and Spain was really where most of the work was being done. Like I said, he had a, a studio or several studios in the St. Regis where some of this stuff would get done. But something like this was done in Spain. Yeah, so so there was, there was a so this is more or less that last picture is is showing the actual setup that we had for our stereoscopy. So in in the statue that's in the center, you see a V made of the mirrors, or that's what he's trying to show. And then those two stereoscopic images that are on angles would be we would be meshed with the with the V of the mirror to to um, to merge it when you put your nose up to the V of the mirrors. So that's that's showing a person with their nose up to the mirrors using the two mirrors set at an angle to converge the two stereoscopic paintings that are at ang right angles to the mirrors. Did he ever sell any of these? I don't know if he sold any of them. There's there are a couple uh, that were made that are in uh, lithographs. So they, those were actually sold and they have a little fold out, a little plastic mirror inside the lithograph that you could try to put it together with. But good luck. You have just you have a better chance of putting the uh, the teacup together. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. So he, you know, he did some of these classical classical Dolly stuff. So this is things taken from old Dolly paintings that were just the perspective was changed a little bit from an actual painting that he had done already. So these were done without photography. Uh, that chair might have been done with photography, 
but that what the back of her head um that was from an old painting and it was just fudged the other the other uh, perspective was fudged yeah, no pinholes here right. just right and that would be the same for that and for all these uh, little sinks whatnot so that would that would definitely be done with photo photographs this and the the, the little the little um squiggles stereoscopic squiggles that was taken from a computer book and the molecular structures those were taken just poached from computer volumes and who would find those volumes usually me just going to the library going to the going to the new york library going to the library that i had in connecticut and fairfield and looking through the computer generated stuff and uh going to bookstores going into the best bookstores I could find, uh, Rizzoli's and whatnot on Fifth Avenue and trying to find any computer generated uh, imagery. And this was like real state of the art, getting a, a 3D molecule at the time. So there was a few of them printed and, and those few that were printed, they were all poached. And, and was this, this is also that pinhole approach, right? Or Yeah, this, this, was, this was a pin, this was done with pinholes and th those were, a lot easier you know not a lot easier than doing a face or something mm -hmm. like that once you gave him once you once you found something that looked cool what would you like it handed to him and would he just put put it in a stack and get and eventually look through it and all of a sudden something is that the process well so yeah I, there was lots of this stuff so we had we had hundreds of uh of antique cards with these damn black and white pictures on them and it was also the way we viewed these stereo stuff from the from the uh, from the computer books. A few of them had little viewers that were built into the book, little card viewers, and it just separated your eyes and your nose, and you could look at the stereo image with that. But a lot of these, still, I did the exact same thing: cut them up and put them on stereo cards so we could view them. That was like just the real easiest way for us to do checks. Now, would you check them and then hand it to him, or he would say, "Check these." No, no, I had to make the cards. So when I made the cards, I would check them. Of course, I had to check them because I had to see if it was aligned in the first place, you know, if, if, the, if the 3D worked. So I would have to check all of them. And then and he would go through them and see what he liked, what he didn't like. And there was a stack of cards that he might use and a stack of cards that he will use and a stack of cards that are just in the trash. And would those stacks be like set up when you got there one day or did he kind of flip, know what he was going to do? No, they, they, they would be all over the place. He, he would he would pick a few. He would actually have a few in mind. And those would really be the pre preeminent ones that he would go back to pick up and say give to his photographer to photograph that because it was small on paper or whatever and blow it up, put it on black and white paper so you could then do the pinhole technique. I'm going to need to pick up an art book to figure out because I still don't have my head wrapped too much around the how the pinholes work, but uh, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point. But that's... I have to study that a little more myself. I wasn't even aware of that, how that worked. Well, that, that's it's an old classical method. And the other the other way that was classical was um, using a camera lucida. The, the, there's a thing called a Lucy now that projects an image, but we didn't use that. Guys like Vermeer and Gerard Dow, the guy that he found had the classical artist that had done the stereo stuff, they would have used a camera lucida, which allows you to project an image onto a, onto a surface through mirrors and lenses. And then you would just draw it on there from that. It, it's, it's quite amazing. That, that's how, that's how uh, Vermeer did all his paintings. And a lot of people used it and it, it really is sort of like a camera at, at, 
but you had to paint everything. What is the history of that? Do you know where who actually began that process? Is that just lost to history? No, it's not. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a recommendation to you. Find find a film called Tim's Vermeer. Tim is the name Tim's Vermeer. Mm-hmm. Yes, Tim as in T I M. Tim's Vermeer, and Tim is a uh, Tim. Uh, I'm forgetting his last name. I actually knew him through his computer company, but this is a guy that um, made a computer company and made money through the uh, making computer graphics and whatnot. And he decided that one of his things that he really had to do was paint a Vermeer. And when he said he was going to paint a mirror, Vermeer, he really meant it. He went, he went to Europe and found all the elements of an actual Vermeer painting and set up a room with the right lighting and all that stuff and made a camera lucida himself. It goes through the entire process and shows how Vermeer worked and how he reproduced a Vermeer when he had never painted anything in his life. Yeah, it's an amazing film. Um, another funny side to that is uh, Penn and Teller are the, the producers of that film. Why does that not surprise me? So Dolly always had these very extended perspective crosses and he figured that that would be a great subject for um, stereoscopy because of the perspective and that's how this ended up. And it's actually his wife's boyfriend that is the Christ in this. Oh, are we? How are we able to figure that one out? Because uh, he was he actually modeled for it, as far as I know. Jeff, she was she was like dating. I think his name is Jeff Feinhold. He was actually the head. He was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ superstar. And um, I, like she's probably fifty years his senior, but she was having an affair with him and um, like giving him dolly works to bang her or whatever. So it was a really wild time. I mean, <laughs> crazy shit going yeah, on. And it was great because Dolly decided to crucify him. I, that's perfect. What happened after 76? Uh, I got a girlfriend. I was getting laid, and I thought that was better than working Had with enough. Dolly. Got it. <laughs> Had enough putting the pins in the... the... <laughs> I didn't... I didn't... I actually didn't have enough. But getting laid was pretty strong Yeah, that does drug, it. That, that, that changes a lot of people's <laughs> attitudes in general. You know, it, it certainly... Uh, yeah, so... But, and then, then what after that? Because we knew the girlfriend that was going to eventually wear... Yeah, so um, I I ended up uh, later getting married, having a kid, and I I was working in a factory in a gun factory while I was working with Dolly. So I would I would, would be covered with grease from the gun factory going into the St. Regis all the time. And when I when my wife was pregnant, um, I thought it wasn't wise to work in a gun factory because I worked in the assembly area, which included the test. And shit happens. I didn't want to get killed because I was going to have a kid. So um, I looked for another job and I ended up going into the semiconductor equipment industry, which ended up being for the lithography equipment, the equipment that is really sophisticated cameras that put the, the images that become the circuits on silicon that become the chips and your stuff. And I stayed in that for 40 years and I have like 35, 38 patents in that field. So my creativity went to working on that. When I ended up working with Dolly, um, I, I had things that I had started with Dolly and didn't really want to um, work on. I, I knew how to make Dolly images, but I wasn't going to, for the life of me, try to compete with Salvador Dolly making the Dolly type images. So I didn't know what I wanted to do for myself. That was my real problem. 
I didn't know what I wanted to paint. So I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to paint. That's it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when personal computers came about in the 80s, um, I got interested in them. And I'm, as soon as they were good enough to try to make some art, I made some Dolly-like art. And I did a lot of magazine covers and whatnot and became like fairly well-known as a computer artist, but also dropped that. I had always thought when I retired, I would go back and work on some of the things I had started with Dolly. But in 2012 or 2011 online, I had found um, the advent of uh, three-dimensional fractals. And when I saw them, I thought I could apply that to anything. And I tried recreating classical paintings and different things with them. And I found that I could do it. And that inspired me to start again. At the same time, I was in Times Square and I saw... Uh, in a movie theater, uh, a marquee for Spider-Man that had Spider-Man hanging off the side of the building that was, uh, it was actually a lenticular. And it was so good. I mean, it was really holographic. It was phenomenal. So I said, all right, so that is something I want to know about because that would have been something that Dolly would have gave us like left arm for. So I started, I started painting again and I started contacting companies in the United States about doing the, um, the lenticulars. And I, when I contacted the big companies here, they were all doing like covers for Disney uh, DVDs and shit like that. And they wanted like 10, 15,000 just to start a project, just to try, Never mind, like you get it right. So I said, well, you know, I don't know. So I saw a little ad somewhere about a Chinese company and I wrote to them. And I ended up finding two others and I wrote to them and two of the companies said, you know, we'll try one for free. Just send us your art and we'll try it for free. So I started working with them and describing drawing arrows, which way I wanted the contours to go. I had like drawings like full of millions of arrows. And uh, after eight years now, I'm, I got two companies that are just phenomenal for me. I mean, I, I barely have to tell them anything at all. So they know they know about perspective. They know about everything I want to do. Uh, did was that before or after you met them? Did they did you did you teach them a little bit? What how'd that work? I, I had I had to go. I went through. I'd say I in the end I went through um, two or three. Well, well, until I was getting something that I was happy with, it was probably four years and a lot of tries and probably fifteen to twenty grand. Yeah, okay, that's, that's a learning curve. So they ship them in. How does that all work? How, they, they... Yeah, I, 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 would send, I would send them images and they would do the, uh, I, I would separate everything out into layers in Photoshop as much as I could. But what I, what I was really interested in is not, so where we started was the regular lenticulars, a regular 3D, where you had a flat image here and a flat image here and a flat image here. And it was 3D, but it was, everything was, was flat. So I was interested in gaining contour. And I had seen some of their commercial stuff that had watches or perfume bottles and they had actual contour to that. So having them understand that I wanted, when I had a landscape, that the landscape had to start at the front of the painting and go all the way to the back and all that stuff. It took a while to get everything set and for them to know what, how to set up their software to do that. And like I said, uh, like three or four years later, we were really starting to cook. And now the latest thing I've done is is like really like completely remarkable. Uh, it, it has these two figures, and the two figures are covered with a texture that I had extract extruded on the bodies in 3D, and every single feature of that texture is is there in 3D in in the lenticular now. I mean, all of it. 
It's not just that, that the arm is coming forward or going or receding or anything. Every little bit of that texture is really there in 3D. It's really incredible. Now. The piano has been drinking. The piano has been drinking. Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me.